We're not talking about uh, Jesus' excellence in terms of the fact that he's God, uh, fully God, uh, that he's the creator of the universe, and on and on. Uh, But when uh, Peter tells us that we are a people created to declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, uh, what Peter is talking about here is the moral excellence, the beauty and the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're looking at, and that's what we've been reflecting on, and that's what Paul and Jude write about today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, we read this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And then to Jude, picking up here in Jude's admonitions there at the end of his letter, Starting with verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy... To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, as many of you know, this past week uh, we were hanging out with our friends in Croatia, uh, there in Zagreb, and it's always a, a great, great time to be there. Uh, and to be with our friends. And, and, and at the same time, it's always a bit bittersweet because uh, the movement that started about 20 years ago that uh, at one point in time involved probably upwards of 500 people uh, at the time, which was very uh, uh, unusual uh, in Croatia. There wasn't a, a very strong church presence Uh, The church seemed in many respects on the wane. Uh, There was so much life, there was so much vitality, there was so much possibility, uh, and we've enjoyed being with them, and we enjoy the time that we have together, and certainly uh, enjoy even now when we go. Uh, But they came to a point as a movement, they, they had a lot of rapid growth, but also they became more and more and more legalistic. And... As a movement, they really focused more on the Old Testament than on the New Testament, uh, on the demands of God, uh, on the requirements of God, uh, and even you know, when it came to preaching, uh, the proclamation was all about the cross of Christ and almost never about the resurrection. 
They very rarely had a, a really good, well-developed theology of the resurrection and the importance of the resurrection. And it was all about the cross and encountering the crucified Christ and crucifying your sin. And you can never really tell if you're in with God or out or if you're in with God now. If you don't uh, watch out, uh, you'll get caught in sin and suddenly you'll be out with God. And then you'll have to be converted all over again and come back to the cross. And, and, and all the while, well, this is going on and this, this kind of dynamic is controlling people uh, and, uh, and the leaders were in tension because they were, they were feeling like, some of the leaders were feeling like this wasn't the right way, uh, but the, the key central leader was really emphasizing this very strongly uh, and they tried to break out of this uh, and in the process of doing all of this stuff, uh, a lot of people got damaged, a lot of relationships were wounded, uh, a lot of people walked away uh, from the faith and, and for many people it was the only thing that they, they, they really had known and so many people walked away uh, and a lot, a lot, a lot of people struggled uh, and it, as a movement it, it really began to destroy a lot of people and I knew that things were really key about five years ago now when the Lord stopped me from going. We'd been going since uh, the early 2000s uh, one of the first places we went after we came here to uh, London, uh, one of the first places outside uh, on the continent that we had gone to, and all of a sudden it's just like the Lord uh, just stopped me and said, no, you know, you can't go. And then the movement began to dissolve and relationships began to break down more and more and more and uh, everything collapsed. And a couple of years ago, they just decided, oh, well, well, we'll take a year off, we'll see what happens, but it's probably going to die uh, and, not, uh, and not come back together. And it was really tragic to see, and certainly along that time, the Lord gave me a number of prophetic words uh, that I kind of released there uh, and uh, didn't know what was going to happen. In fact, for a while I thought, well, maybe that was it. But the Lord had told me something uh, right before he stopped me going, he said, Rod, you can go as often as they need you to go. And, and I thought that was interesting, but then the Lord didn't make a way for us to go until earlier this year, uh, back in February. And they asked me to go, uh, and I went. And many of the leaders, I mean the leaders, uh, the core team of leaders, at one point in time there were seven or eight elders, each of whom led their own house church, um, from that core team, many of whom we'd worked with quite closely and very good friends, there were three guys that came together uh, back in February. And I remember, man, the first night we had together, it was like death, you know? If you've ever been in, uh, in a cemetery where everybody's dead and you're sitting there, I mean, that's kind of what it felt like, you know? And I felt like I was the only live person there. Uh, they were crushed, they were demoralized, you know, and, and it was like everything had fallen apart, and they were all ready to quit. They all wanted to, to get out, except for one guy who uh, came a little bit later into the movement, and uh, he never really was touched by some of the, the deeper legalistic stuff. He'd always resisted it and always protected his little house church, but even he was exhausted, and, and, and they were about to, to, to quit. And one guy was making his plans to transition out of the ministry and leave the church with somebody uh, and another guy just wasn't sure what he was going to do, but he, he never, it, it was one of these things where uh, if you've ever had, uh, where you've got a line of people like in the military, 
and uh, the, the general asks for volunteers, and you're standing in, in the line, and everybody steps back but you, that was the guy. He was the guy that didn't step back. Uh, and so, you know, he, he signed up to be part of a unit, and all of a sudden he was there by himself. But it's been amazing to see what God has done this year in the hearts of people as we've asked questions, as we've looked at things, uh, and the Lord is beginning to rebuild, the Lord is beginning to retool, and I think the Lord will release again this movement, and I'm really looking forward to exciting things happening. And this trip, as, co- as compared to the one back in February, uh, where everybody was ready to quit, now everybody is looking forward to the future, they're excited, uh, they're talking about church structure and church government, and those are questions you ask only when you plan on going into the future and rebuilding on a very solid foundation. Now why do I ask all this? Why, why, why do I tell this story in, in, in brief and understand this is very brief and in a very outlined form of a lot of things that have gone on? Uh, The reason I think a lot of this fell apart and the reason they didn't move into the fullness of everything that God had for them back around the year 2000, and this was one of the most exciting, still is one of the most exciting movements I'd ever seen in the world and something that was completely indigenous to Croatia. This wasn't because there was a denomination or a group from outside of Croatia that came into Croatia to start it. This was God sovereignly starting something. And it really looked like the early church in those days. Uh, And it was very, very exciting. But the reason is that they forgot the excellencies of Christ. As a movement, they began to focus on the cross and they began to focus on judgment and they began to focus on sin and they began to focus on evil and they began to focus on brokenness. And and let me tell you, if all you look for in this world is sin and evil and judgment and brokenness and injustice and wickedness and how we are all complicit in it, you understand uh, none of us could live our lives in that. None of us could live our lives in that. And yet that's what they were looking at. All about Jesus. It was Jesus on the cross and Jesus' blood dripping down and you get cleansed, but then we're going to, like pigs, wallow again in the filth and slime of our worthlessness as human beings uh, just for Jesus to pluck us out again and maybe wash us clean. And it's all this focus on ugliness and all this focus on wrongness and no real focus on who Jesus actually is. No real understanding of the truth of Jesus Christ, of the glory of Jesus Christ, of the love of Jesus Christ, of the majesty of Jesus Christ. And I I see this all the time. I was having a conversation just yesterday uh, about a situation in another church where a group of elders were focusing on evil and focusing on demons, not focusing on the power of Jesus. And if you focus on demons and you focus on their ugliness and you say, oh wow, you know, here, here it comes, Halloween is coming again uh, and demons are going to be let loose and it's going to be terrible and so as Christians we need to duck down and hide under a pew until the demons pass by and then we can stick our heads up. If you have that mindset, you're not seeing Jesus. Jesus is King. 
Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Jesus is mighty. That's Jesus. If you don't see Jesus, if you don't understand Jesus, you're going to live your life in fear and terror. But if you really see Jesus and you see him in all his glory and you understand his excellencies, you can't help but hold your head high and move forward with joy and excitement and hope, especially when you see the excellencies of Jesus and Jesus' grace and Jesus' mercy. And we talk a lot about grace and we talk a lot about mercy. Obviously, we believe in both of those things here at City Temple. And there are a lot of discussions about grace and mercy. And most of the discussions today about grace, and let's just take grace for example, most of the discussions that are happening in the world, uh, in, in, in the body of Christ, globally today, about grace, have to do with, what can I get away with? That's a focus. You've got some people who are hyper-grace, and hyper-grace people say, I can get away with everything. It doesn't matter. God's grace is on me. And so if I want to sleep around, that's fine. If I want to steal, that's fine. It doesn't really matter. And there are some that are that hyper when they come to hyper grace. On the other side, you get people who are are like, well, you know, God's grace only goes so far. It's like this limited grace and, and God's just waiting. You know, he's got this line of grace here. And as soon as you step on the other side of the line of grace, crispy critter. Flat as a pancake. God's going to deal with you. He's going to judge you. And by the way, if you're not moving to that line, I'm going to push you over a little bit because I want to see it happen. And you've got these two mindsets, but the mindset, when you're looking at grace from this standpoint, is all about us. It's all about the limits of grace. It's all about what we can and can't do. And ultimately, it gets caught up into questions of legalism and questions of immorality and all of these things. And we're not looking at Jesus and the grace of Jesus because if we understand the excellencies of Jesus in grace, these other questions become rather immaterial. Paul says here, consider, you know the grace of the Lord. That though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by him you might become rich. This is Jesus. Jesus is fully God. He enjoys all the power and prerogative of God. And yet, as Paul says in Philippians 2, he empties himself and he becomes like one of us. And and Peter, uh, excuse me, the writer to the Hebrews says it very clearly that Jesus was like us in every single way except without sin. The Son of God, God Himself, became a limited human being walking on this earth. Oh, He was fully God. He didn't change His Godness. He was fully God, fully human. But He did that for us because of this undeserved favor. He looked on us and He said, Hey, I like that person. I love that person. That person is worth. That person has value. That person's created in my image. And I am going to become poor. I'm going to make myself nothing so that by my poverty, they might become like me. They might become rich. They might be exalted. They might be lifted up. And Jesus did this not for anything that we were going to do. He didn't look down the future and say, oh, this person is going to be a good little boy or girl at some point in time in the future, so I'm going to be gracious and I'm going to save them. 
He didn't look and say, oh, well, this person's going to be important for my kingdom because they'll preach, they'll teach, uh, they'll reach out, they'll win thousands to Christ, and so they're worthy of my salvation. They didn't say, oh, they're going to be a good father or a good mother or even a good person. Jesus looked at us and said, I love you. And he became poor so that by his poverty, we could become rich for no other reason than his grace. And this grace of Jesus cost him. It wasn't a cheap grace. It wasn't a a favor. It wasn't looking and saying, oh, okay, I like you. That's nice. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus became a human being. Jesus lived a life as one of us. Jesus was reviled and persecuted and scorned. The very Son of God. People looked at Him and said, He's worthless. He's of no account. Jesus did all of that for us by His grace. That's the excellency of Jesus. And Jesus reaches down and He cleans us up and He brings us up with Him and makes us His brothers, His sisters. Jesus makes us sons of God by His grace. All of this happens by His grace. Every single movement of it. And this grace cost the cross of Christ. He shed tears. He felt abandoned. He endured all because of His grace. And you see, when you understand that, you don't want to cheapen that with discussions of what can I get away with? And you don't want to cheapen that with discussions of, well, you know, where's the limit? And when, when is He going to strike me dead? Because He's already demonstrated that grace for us. And when we understand the excellency and the beauty of Jesus in this grace... We don't want to sin. We, won't, we don't want to do what's wrong. If we really understand it, why would we trade it? Why would we contaminate it? Why would we pollute it? In fact, every time we want to contaminate or pollute it, we don't really understand it. But you know what? None of that changes His grace. Not one bit changes His grace. That's amazing. That's the grace of God. But does that mean sin doesn't matter? Of course not. Sin is an affront to God. Sin is awful. And even the small sins that we commit are foul. They're horrible. If we really understood the horror of sin, we wouldn't want to do it. If we really understood what we were wallowing in when we chose to to act in a sinful way, we wouldn't want to do it. But the truth is, we do do it. And when we do, in the face of all of that, we have the mercy of Jesus. That's what Jude was talking about. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God and the, the mercy of Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. You know, none of us get to eternal life because we're good people. None of us get to eternal life because we've worked really hard. None of us get to eternal life even because we've been faithful after we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We get to eternal life because of the mercy of Jesus Christ. Every single day, the mercy of Jesus is upon us. And Jesus can be merciful toward us because He lived our life. 
Everything, every temptation, every test that we face, Jesus faced. There is not anything that we face. You might say, well, you know, Jesus didn't face ever face a sexual temptation. Oh, come on, get real. He was surrounded by prostitutes. Jesus never faced the temptation to, to, to gluttony. Oh, come on, get real. He went to parties and feasts and celebration. Jesus never faced the temptation to be a Pharisee. Oh, come on. He was with the Pharisees all the time. The Pharisees were the people that everybody else looked up to. He faced these temptations, but the point is he never sinned in these temptations, but he still faced them. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, Jesus learned obedience by what he suffered. This means that he struggled. When he was in the desert and he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, it was hard not to turn the stones into bread. When Jesus was taunting him and saying, Nanny, nanny, boo, boo, you're not really the son of God, he was tempted to throw himself off the temple to see if God would catch him up and demonstrate uh, that he's really God. He dealt with all of this. And because he dealt with our life, because he lived life as we lived, and he didn't even have half the conveniences we have, because he went through all of that, he's merciful. He understands the struggles. He understands what it means to be hated by other people, rejected by other people, turned down by other people, uh, have other people ignore us, have other people not value us. He understands all of this. He's experienced it all. And out of it all, he has mercy. So his grace is amazing because he gave everything. It cost him everything to give us that unmerited, that undeserved favor. But then his mercy is what keeps us in this. Every time I fall, it's His mercy that picks me up and says, Rod, keep going. Every time I stumble, it's His mercy that grabs a hold of me. And it's not just me, it's every single one of us. His mercy is over your life every single day. Because His mercy is determined to lead you to eternal life. His mercy is determined that you're going to get there. No matter how long it takes you, no matter how hard the road seems to be, His mercy is determined to walk with you every single step of the way. That's the way Jesus is. And Jesus is merciful, not because we deserve it, not because we're good people, but because that's who He is. Our Lord Jesus Christ is gracious and merciful every single day. His grace and His mercy are over our lives. And His grace and His mercy are encouraging us to take the next step, to move forward. And the problem is, our friends in Croatia, they've forgotten the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And the problem is, with many people in the body of Christ, they forget the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. You know, it's not the judgment of God that motivates anybody, really, to come to Christ. It's not us telling them, but knowing the grace and the mercy of God, even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our struggle, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. That even though we've struggled, that by his mercy he died on the cross for us, cleansing us from our sin, determined to lead us into eternal life. This is the glory of Christ. This is the excellency of Christ. And there is no one like our God who is filled with grace and filled with mercy. Isn't that exciting? 
excites me. It charges me. It encourages me. So how do we live in light of the excellencies of Christ? If we are a people who have been created to declare the excellencies of Him, who have called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light, how do we live? And Jude gives us some ideas here. And it's really contrary sometimes to what we think. So what does Jude say? He says here, And have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. Do you know there are times when I doubt? I'm like everybody else. There are times when I question. There there have been times in my life when I said, you know, is this all a lie? Have I wasted my life on this? No, I could go in those moments and say, stupid, stupid, stupid. But I don't. I just go back to the cross and the empty tomb. Because I know that my Redeemer lives. And I see that. And I know the evidence for it. And I stand in that. But I know a lot of churches that would rather crucify somebody who doubts than be merciful to someone who doubts. We all have questions. We all have doubts. It's hard, let me tell you, when you're right in the middle of a struggle and it seems like every single person in the world is against you, it is hard not to doubt. And I have gone through not only weeks and days, but I've gone through years of struggle when I've said, what in the world is going on? where it's been hard to see what's going to happen, and certainly I didn't see the outcome, where I've, I've lived in threat of my, my livelihood, my life, my, my house, my friends, my family, everything around me. It's hard not to doubt. And when we're in that, we're called to be merciful. Not to judge, not to attack, not to criticize, not to condemn but to be merciful for those who are struggling. Because we're all going to have it. And in those moments, we don't distance ourselves from those people. The challenge is for us to come right alongside of them and say, hey, I've been there myself. Let's walk in this together because Jesus is alive. And he will show you because his mercy is determined to take you all the way to eternal life. So we're called to be merciful to those who doubt. That's a good word. And we can do that. That's encouraging. So what's the other thing we do? And have mercy on thou. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. This is mercy. This is mercy. Because most of the fires that we're going to snatch people out of are fires that they've made themselves. That's what, that's what he's talking about. You know, so often I, I've, I've seen people, I've dealt with people who even though you tell them, hey, don't do that, don't do that, they create a situation, it's like they build a bonfire, they light it and they stand in the middle of it. And so many people do this with their lives. So many people have self-destructive attitudes and self-destructive bents in their lives and, and make self-destructive choices. We see this time and time and time again. And the temptation in those times, and if you don't face it, I've faced it, and so maybe maybe I'm alone in this. The temptation in those times, when you see somebody step into a fire that they have made, and it starts to hurt, and it starts to burn, is to say, see, I told you it's going to be hot. 
No, you, you, just, you just stew there for a little while. You need to barbecue a bit. Uh, and maybe God will help you. Maybe God will get you out. But in the meantime, I love to hear you sizzle. Now, and that's a lot of times, that's the attitude. And that's the attitude in a lot of churches. They want people to suffer. They want people to get what's coming to them. And Jude says, no, mercy means that you snatch people out of the fire. You see them going in the fire. You don't push them in further. You see them going into the fire. You don't ignore it. It's merciful to try to snatch them out of the fire. Now, some people will resist. Some people will fight you. And some people will stay in the fire no matter what you do to try to snatch them out. You can only go so far. But the idea here is you try to snatch them out of the fire that they made, snatch them, pull them close to you, and say, hey, hang on in there. God will heal you, and Christ's mercy is determined to lead you to eternal life. But there's one other way that we show mercy. And in some ways, this is the hardest of all. Because we're living in a world right now where there are some people that says we have to be merciful to everything. And, and by that they mean that you can't tell people that what they're doing is sin. You can't tell people what they're doing is wrong. You can't tell people uh, that what the Bible says about certain things. You know, you can't offend people. And remember what we say here, you can't offend anybody who doesn't take offense. You cannot give offense unless someone takes offense. It's always the person's responsibility to take it. Uh, even though a lot of people don't like that, and some people will fight you on that, but it's re it really is true, and you see it consistently. Uh, but So that's the attitude. You know, We want to tolerate everything, and we can't say that this is sin. We can't say this is wrong. And James says, uh, James, Jude says this uh, in that. He says, And to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh by the sinful aspect of our humanity. That sometimes it is merciful to say this is sin and it cannot be tolerated. Sometimes the greatest mercy we do is to say, sorry, if you persist in this course of action, you are removing yourself from the fellowship of God's people. And that's merciful. There's a great danger in the world today of what some have called unsanctified mercy. That is being merciful when it's not holy or righteous to do so. And when we show unsanctified mercy, what we do is tarnish the mercy of Jesus. And so it's important for us to understand that sometimes the most merciful thing we can do is challenge people at the point of their sin and encourage them to come out. But we do so not with the threat of judgment because it's not our right to judge. We do so not with the, the heavy-handed needing to convince people of their sin. We do it simply. We state the word of God. We allow God to work in their lives. And we always remind them that the mercy of Christ, the excellent, wonderful, glorious mercy of Jesus is there to help them overcome the sin in their life, to help them overcome the season in their life and to go all the way to eternal life. We serve a glorious Jesus filled with grace and mercy. And the grace and mercy of Jesus encourage us. The grace and mercy of Jesus challenge us. 
The grace and mercy of Jesus strengthen us. And as we live in this grace and mercy, and we love one another in this grace and mercy, we show the excellencies of Jesus to a world that is desperate to know that God really is filled with grace and mercy, that God really is for them, favored, looking upon them with favor. Father God, I thank you so much. Thank you for the promise. Thank you for all that you've done and in through us and your son Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are a Lord of grace and mercy. Jesus, teach us how to show that same grace and mercy to one another. Teach us how to live in the reality of that grace and mercy. Show us how to love one another in that grace and mercy so that as your people, we might be a people who really do, by our life as well as our words, proclaim the excellencies of Jesus who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We love you, we praise you, we worship and adore you. In Jesus' name, amen.